Winning the coveted award of being a best place to work doesn't mean that your employees are going to have it easy. Work can still be hard and fulfilling. And that's what our guest today has done with her organization. Today, we welcome Mary Olga onto the show. She is the president and CEO of A New Leaf. It's a nonprofit that serves developmentally disabled people in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And ever since she's taken over, the organization has grown significantly from, I think, around 20 employees when she joined to over 240 now. And the budget has also increased significantly. And it's a best place to work. <laughs> Mary Olga, welcome to How I Turned the Corner. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit more about A New Leaf. And if you don't mind while you're describing it, talk a little bit about your staff too and kind of what, what you guys are made up of. Well, A New Leaf, what, you know, we were founded back in 1979. We are a nonprofit organization, but we were really in for one reason, and that is to create independence and remove barriers for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So there's a large population of our country that has an intellectual and developmental disability. So they usually have an IQ of 70 or below, or they have autism. And these individuals can be workers, they can live independently, they can have vibrant lives, but they have all of these barriers in their way. So it's our job at my company to remove those barriers and to create independence. And so what if you really want to think about our company, we're almost like a home health in that we're almost, uh, we send our employees into the homes of these individuals with disabilities to help them live independently and work independently. So for instance, whatever you need to do in the morning to get up and make sure you're on time to work or that you have, you know, your, your clothes cleaned, your medication re ready to go, whatever you need to support yourself and your family, people with individual, with disabilities need the same thing. And so my staff, my employees are the ones who are going into their homes every day to help them be independent. So today, actually, we think we have now we have about 280 employees, but it takes a special employee to work with an individual to help them be more independent. I mean, they are in their, the, that employee is in that client's home, they're in their space, they're really helping them be independent. And so it really takes a special employee, but What's interesting, Kendra, is I have found if I ask my employees what they like best about their job, they say watching their clients become independent mm. or seeing their clients grow. And so we really try to listen to what my employees are saying, and then we give them more of that, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. That's very wise. I think a lot of times leaders can get a little bit, um, have a different perception of their organization than their employees and sometimes mess up a culture because they're thinking that they should be doing one thing for their staff, but the staff really wants something else. That's exactly right. And in our culture, it's really important. The number one thing that we hear from our employees all the time is flexibility. 
So if you work in a nonprofit, most likely you're a female. Literally, that's like 88% of nonprofit employees across the country are female. So it's really important to have flexibility for that group of people because their moms, their grandmas, their aunts, they're also taking care of their, you know, maybe their grandchildren or their nieces and nephews. So flexibility is one of the main things they tell me all the time they need. And we, we really work hard to give them that. So these are shift workers too. These are 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. shift workers or 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. or 3 to 11. So sometimes it's hard to be flexible, uh, but you have to do it for the employee. And so we really try to do that um, for the employee. And it seems to really work for us. But culture is the number one thing. So can we talk a little bit about that flexibility piece? Because a lot of my clients who I will put in the category of that they make money by being face-to-face, you know, you're in that category. You can't really do your work remotely because you need to be with the, with the clients. So how do you actually do this flexibility piece? Because we've helped a lot of companies figure out really unique programs, but I'd love to get your perspective on how, if you've got this shift work, how do you actually provide that flexibility? Well, I think um, the number one thing we do is we um, hire people to be like floaters. We call them floaters or in other companies, they might be called relief workers. So we have a whole pool of employees who can, who covers for someone who's on vacation or they cover for someone who needs a couple hours off. So they're like pool employees. They can, they're trained in multiple areas so that they can jump in if someone needs an hour or two to go to their, you know, kids baseball game or something, you know, like that. Um, But the other way we do flexibility is we give people flexible schedules. So if you are someone who um, needs to be in the office to say eight to four, but really your kids get home from school at two, it would be better if you worked six to two. We, we, we work to make sure that schedule will fit. And then we work with other people to make sure we can do that. So like I said, it's not an easy approach. Um, but, you know, I was raised in a family that, um, of course, my, my, my father was a bricklayer in like a, a steel mill. And so he, he had to take care of my mom who had cancer. And so sometimes he would be late because he had to help her because she was having an issue. But they didn't care about his personal life that was happening. We care about the personal life of the person that our employee. So even though, so that's one way we do it, Kendra, we listen to them. We know what's going on in their life. And I'm not saying we do it at the detriment to the company because we don't. We are a profitable nonprofit. We are profitable and we, we score high in all of our metrics. Um, but if we know someone has to be, you know, has to have a flexible schedule in order to take care of their child, then we really work hard to make that happen. I love that. And, and you, you said something that I think is really important to call out for our listeners and that this isn't easy. But it's the right thing to do. And this is what we have to do now as leaders, because people are wanting to bring their whole person to work. They don't want to any longer kind of leave behind their personal life on the doorstep as they're hopping in the car to come to work. It just doesn't work like that anymore. And COVID really, really accelerated that. 
Absolutely. We have, you know, we have employees that they might have a, a, a child who is actually on the spectrum, the autism spectrum. And so the only time that they can get into therapy is, you know, every Wednesday at 245. While the husband's work might not let them get off or the wife, whatever it is. But if I can make that happen so that employee can leave to take their child to therapy at 245, then that's the schedule that person needs to have. And so, but again, like you said, it is not easy, but if I am helping them do that, they are going to give me more and know that I'm going to work on their behalf, mm-hmm. but we must work on their behalf because they're the ones taking care of my, our clients. Mm-hmm. So if I don't take care of them, they're going to be angry and frustrated and take it out on my clients. Mm-hmm. So it's really critical that we take care of our employees, but we almost put the employees ahead of everything else in the company. It's hard because I put my clients first because they're people with disabilities, but we really try to put the employee above everything because then if we take care of them, they'll take good care of our clients. Absolutely. I mean, we've all encountered those workers where it's clear that they hate their job. They're not helpful. They're not kind. They really don't listen to our issues. I mean, that's not the kind of staff I want to have. Right. Right. <laughs> I want my staff to be fully in and joyful and engaged and because <laughs> they're going to be way better with customers. Absolutely. The other thing that we do that's really made a difference, and I know it may sound silly, but it's really made a difference to our company. We have all staff meetings four times a year, and they're mandatory. So everybody has to come and we do them at different times so all shifts can come. But a lot of times people say to me, oh, we don't have all staff meetings because they're boring or whatever. Well, they are not boring. And what we do is we talk about client success stories, where a client has gotten more independence or if a client, you know, was able to do a skill that they weren't able to do before. So we talk about all that. We also talk about the financials of the company. We put the financials of the company up on the screen so that they can see. I also give all my employees my cell phone number. I tell them not to call me. I won't answer, but I will answer a text. And I tell them, don't text me to complain about your boss because there's a process. But call, but text me and tell me what would make your job better or what problems you see. And so we're really transparent and really open with our employees. And I, I think those all staff meetings honestly have really made a big difference in our company. Oh, that's amazing. When did you start doing those? About seven years ago. And that's when we started uh, seeing the huge impact on our employee engagement surveys. So we have like 98 to 99% like employee satisfaction, or I will recommend a friend to work here or a relative to work here, like 98, 99%. Wow. So what was it like before you started doing those meetings? Like what would be, you know, the, the whole idea with this podcast is really like how I turned the corner, right? And so what 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 did you notice when you turned that corner? I, I think what we noticed is that our our staff was getting a lot of information from the senior leadership. Before they were just getting it from their next the okay. supervisor. And when we started all staff meetings, they were getting um, the CEO's time right there, you know, for two hours, I say for the whole meeting, that really made a difference. And the other leaders in the company, the other, like the C-suite, they also stay for the whole meeting. And so 
a frontline employee could walk right up to the CFO or the marketing person or the chief programs officer and have a conversation with them. So I really, that, it seemed like our staff was automatically more engaged. And then also because we told them about the money and the financial transparency of the company, I think for some reason that just made them trust us. I, and I don't, I don't, I don't know what the secret sauce is. I'm just telling you when I put up the financials of the company every quarter, the staff all of a sudden seemed to, their trust in us increased. Yeah. Well, I've noticed that too. I mean, I'm, I've always run my business very transparently because I, for one, know I don't know everything and I want their input and I want them to be, you know, involved to the degree that they want. But I've also noticed that, um, over the years too, that's helped them, I guess, hustle more. Like when we've had times where we've needed, you know, um, more revenue or, or we've had client issues and we all just band together. And it's so lovely to not have it all on my shoulders as the leader. Absolutely. You know, the other thing as far as those all staff meetings go that I really see as a big difference is we recognize people who demonstrate our value at those quarterly meetings. So I put their picture up. I say something nice about them and how they demonstrate the value. But it's interesting because then people will say to me, you know, my whole goal this year was to get you to recognize me at one of those quarterly meetings. So (laughs) to me, that was how we turned the corner because someone's working really hard to demonstrate our core values. The other thing we do here, two things I think that significantly changed the company is we, I write handwritten notes every week to key staff. And these are not management staff. And these aren't leadership staff. These are frontline staff. But I write a handwritten note, probably between five and 10 a week, the frontline staff who are doing a good job. And I tell them what they're, what I've seen or what someone told me that they did. And I, I mean, Kendra, I can't tell you how many times people come up to me in a week and say, I got your note. Thank you so much. That just meant the world to me. I once went to a funeral of an employee and you know, on those picture boards they have of like big moments in their life. One of them, the lady who passed away had one of my notes on that board. Wow. Now to me, that really just said something. So I write a lot of notes. Oh, I love that. I've never heard anybody doing that, especially with your size organization. I mean, that's a, that's a big team. Three, two, 300 people close to 300 yeah. is a lot. Yep. But it, it really, those notes really make a difference to people. And then, of course, we do listening sessions. I did a listening session. It, take the, it took about a year. And I do I did it on Zoom. And I did, because it was started during COVID. But uh, we did five people on a Zoom call. And I just asked four questions, the same four questions to everybody to identify trends. And I've done this in my other CEO roles. and. It's amazing because not only do you find out more about the employee, like about their family or something, but um, everyone says the same things about those four questions, which you can then identify as what the trend is, and then you can make adjustments. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, we learned a few years ago during the listening sessions that our processes weren't like we didn't have enough SOPs. People didn't know how to do stuff and it was causing them frustration because 
they kept running into a roadblock and all they needed was a how-to to do something, like how to get vans for the key, keys to the van or whatever. Well, if I'm doing a listening session with 200 people and they're all saying that same thing, that's something that can be quickly addressed. And then, and then it really does turn the corner because they're not getting frustrated because when they get frustrated, then they get mad at their supervisor and then it's just a whole problem. Mm -hmm. So those listening sessions have really done me, they've really been very fruitful in, in being identifying some low hanging fruit. Yeah. So what, what are the questions that you ask? Um, so the first question I ask is what, what gives you the most joy in your work? Cause then I just then give them more of that, mm-hmm, right? right. Whatever that is. And then what causes you the most frustration? And then if you were the CEO, what would you change? What would you change? And so those are the three standard questions. There's one more, but I can't remember because I'm old now, Kendra, but um, <laughs> those are the three main questions. But, you, but when you, but I'm telling you not, um, never pay is never one of those answers. Pay is never one. It's always communication or something like that. Something that costs no money, just takes time, energy, and focus, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how many people think that pay is like the number one thing. Um, I'll have some of my, I would say former clients, ones that we haven't kept who are, you know, would say something like, oh, you know, people should just be happy. They have a job and a paycheck. And it's like, well, that's easy. I mean, that doesn't, you think you get a paycheck all kinds of places. It's this other stuff that makes your culture sticky or not sticky. makes people want to revolve out. (laughs) Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. It's definitely that relationship. We work hard to build relationships with our employees to understand what they're going for. So going through. So like I always tell my staff, we have to, even though we have that many employees, we better know their name and we really have to try to remember something about them. So we have a lot of, I hate to say this because I'm not a big fan of them, but they really work. We have a lot of family gatherings. We have a lot of activities for families to do together with us. We have barbecues, we have potlucks, we have we have a lot of things that people can bring their family to, and then we give like gift cards away. But when they're bringing their family, then my staff can learn who they are, who their family is, who their kids are. So then next week when they see them in the field, they can say, oh, did John get that new job? Or how's Sally doing in class? But those are the things I think that make a difference. Mm-hmm. Why don't you like them? Well, I am not a social worker. Most of my employees are social workers. I'm not that warm and fuzzy person. Uh, so to me, um, you know, I'm, I'm so focused on the business, um, but I know they're really important. So it's, it's good to do. I like them. I like the fruit of that, but yeah, I'm not a big, I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm not the I'm not the one who looks forward to those kind of events. Uh-huh. The staff do look forward to. It. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think about how much stress we carry running businesses, and it's it is. I wouldn't say it's lonely so much. A lot of people will say it's lonely. I don't feel lonely, but I definitely sometimes feel um, you know a, a lot more pressure than I think anybody else does. Yeah, and definitely. and it's hard to put on a cheerful face all the time. <laughs> That's, that's probably what the problem, what my thing is with them. But, 
I push my staff to have those events. Like next week, we had a family thing. We're all going to like a water park. You know, that's not necessarily what I want to do on a Saturday, but my employees love it. We pay for them so they can bring their kids and their grandkids. And then you, I am there with my senior leadership team and we're talking to those staff and they really feel. And then the next time I see them, I can say, now, how's that grandkid of yours doing? You know, last time I saw you and that really makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really does. They feel cared for. And that's, we, we want to, we need to create those environments where, or we need to do that for our staff. We need to care for them. I always say, care for your team. Like you care for your neighbor, you know, be hospitable and welcoming and, you know, supportive. You don't have to loan them money. (laughs) Right. You know, those employees like our turnover rate in our industry. So we are like, we, we have a high turnover rate nationally in our industry, like 63%. Yep. In the state of Oklahoma, the, the turnover rate for our kind of company is like 98%. It's an ungodly amount of turnover. My company has like 27 to 30% turnover. So you think other people think that's high, but in our industry, we're like the beacon, you know, yeah. and it, but it's not pay We're we pay what everybody pays. I mean, we think it's our culture. We really do. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Well, I think that's a perfect spot to end here. Mary, thank you so much for sharing your, your gift and your background. And, and, um, just, this is just wonderful to hear, especially a nonprofit industry in a highly competitive employment space doing so well. So congratulations. Thank Thank you. Thank you. We're blessed.